You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about all things social media. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? Our ninth wedding anniversary is tomorrow. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It feels kind of crazy because nine years is a good amount of our lives. Mm-hmm. But it also feels like it's gone pretty fast. And I'm just really happy with where we are. That's a great way to feel. Yeah. We love where we live. We love our kid. We're both pretty happy professionally. And things just seem really good. Do you have any plans to celebrate? Well, today I gave Andrew his present, which was that I cleaned the house. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also a present for me. That is a great present. (laughs) Yeah. And then... Tomorrow, I think we're just going to get takeout from our favorite burger place. I love the takeout anniversary. We've had a lot of those. Yeah. What's happening with you, Sarah? Well, HP has been in kindergarten now for about three weeks, so I feel like we're getting into the school year rhythm, Mm -hmm. and it has gone really well. I wasn't expecting anything bad, but I would say that it has far exceeded my expectations so far. That's great. I've just been really impressed with his teacher and really enjoying the school community and looking forward to being a part of that and just really proud of him. It's this big new thing, and I feel like he's doing great. That's so fun. Let's move on to what we've been reading. Abby, what have you been reading? I just finished Anne of Green Gables. So good. Yeah, so I'm not sure how I missed this in my childhood. I'm not sure either, because this seems right up your alley. It absolutely was right up my alley. And the reason that I read it is because we have a friend who sent a copy of the book for Plum when she was born. And I was like, well, I haven't read it. And if someone sees fit to gift it to my infant daughter, then probably I should. It took me a while to get through it. I sort of just read a chapter at a time here and there, but then I was really enjoying it. So I I finished this week. I just really loved it. Anne is such a fun and funny and smart and inspiring character. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to read it with Plum when she's old enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to read more of the books. Have you read all of them? I know I read all of them when I was a child. I remember specifically being in the middle of the series while I was on a road trip with my family Mm. and purchasing one of the books, which is not something we did growing up. My parents met in library school and we were big users of the library, (laughs) but I just had to read the next one. You were so ready. Yes. (laughs) I did a reread of it a few years ago and I didn't make it all the way through, but I probably got four or five books in. Mm -hmm. Just really enjoy them. So I'm on the list at the library for the next one. I'm excited to get to that when it is in. So would you recommend this book? Yeah, I think if people didn't read it as kids, they should pick it up. It was definitely worth a read. What have you been reading, Sarah? I just finished, as in moments before we started recording, (laughs) Black Man in a White Coat by Damon Tweedy. And this is a book that we're going to discuss this weekend in our virtual book club. 
It is a memoir about race and medicine, and it's broken into three sections. The first one deals with his experience as a medical student, and the second one, his residency, and the final section is about him practicing as a physician. I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was really thoughtfully done. Both healthcare and race are such a part of the national conversation right now, and looking at those two together made me see both of them differently. Mm. It made me think about the ways in which our current healthcare system perpetuates inequity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is really obvious. And there were examples of that, like when his professor thought that he was there to change the lights and not that he was a medical student. Oh, my gosh. Then there were other things that were more subtle in the ways that he would see white physicians treating black patients, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he felt as if he were to approach them and talk to them about it, they would deny that there was any problem with it. Mm. And it was done in such a way that you could justify it medically, but that likely would not have happened with a white patient. Yeah. And then also looking at these bigger issues of why is it that Black people have a lower life expectancy and Mm -hmm. are statistically so much more likely to have certain medical conditions And so the ways in which that's happening as a society, and then also the ways that the medical system is contributing to that. Mm -hmm. There really wasn't very much that I didn't like. I thought his voice was great. I thought he did a great job telling stories and also connecting that to a bigger picture. And here's the specific incident. Here's what I see as the bigger issue. Mm. And his argument and thesis was really clear going throughout I appreciated that. Yeah. I also found him to be really likable and willing to acknowledge his weaknesses and the areas where he's grown as an individual. Hmm. So it didn't feel like I'm pointing fingers at everyone else and they're the problem. Right. But also examining the ways in which his own assumptions about people and stereotypes affects the patient-doctor relationship. So it sounds like you would recommend it. I absolutely would. There was so much there. And I'm really looking forward to discussing it in book club. The person who recommended it is a nurse and I think has a lot of experience seeing these issues in the medical field as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing her perspective on how she has seen these things play out. And I'm glad you reminded me that it's this Saturday. I have the book from the library, but I haven't (laughs) read it yet. Better get cracking. Yeah. Let's move on to our topic for today, social media. This feels like a really big topic, and we have both realized that we have a lot to say about it. (laughs) Let's start by talking about our first forays into social media, which I think for both of us was Facebook in college. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with Facebook before it even came to Hendrix. People who haven't had Facebook their whole lives will remember that Facebook came first to what was it, Harvard first, and then Mm -hmm. to some other schools like that. So other Ivies and other Northeastern schools, and then Stanford. And then you could submit your school to be added to the Facebook. And I did that several times because I really wanted to be on it. How did you hear about it? That's a good question. I have no idea. Okay. Because I don't think I knew about it until it was a thing at Hendrix. Hmm. I can't imagine... (laughs) Because there was no Facebook to tell you about it. Yeah, who would have told me? I have no idea. Probably friends from high school is my guess, Mm. but I can't say for sure. So when Hendrix finally got Facebook, I was overjoyed and joined instantly. 
And that was the end of our sophomore year because it was right before I went abroad. Oh, okay. I remember, though, thinking about the way Facebook is now, it's so different. Like there wasn't the news feed. And what were we even looking at? Everyone just had a profile and you could write on someone's wall and you could join groups. But then nothing was really happening in said groups, except for there were people in them. You actually don't have much recollection of what I was doing on there. (laughs) I think I mostly wanted to stalk ex-boyfriends. So I'm sure I was doing lots of that. (laughs) Did you join Facebook right when we got it at Hendrix? I do remember joining right away. I remember it being a thing. And even then, I remember people all being on their computers in their room talking about who they found on Facebook. Hmm. How do you use Facebook now? I really still love Facebook. I think my usage has changed. I can't remember sharing a whole lot when I initially joined, but I don't share much that's personal now. I'm not making many status updates. I really like the sharing of news and reading material that happens amongst my friends and family that I'm connected with on there. And mostly what I'm doing is using groups. Mm -hmm. I have an awesome Facebook mom group. That's moms from all over North America. We met in a pregnancy group that was sponsored by the podcast The Longest Shortest Time. And then we formed a spinoff group because we really liked the vibe of the pregnancy group. It's a pretty awesome, supportive space. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably my favorite thing about Facebook right now. The other thing I'm doing is a lot of buy-sell trade groups Mm -hmm. and a buy-nothing group and Facebook recently just introduced the Facebook Marketplace, which is basically like Craigslist, but on the Facebook platform. So you can list things for sale. And I've bought and sold Mm. and given things away and gotten gifted free things on there. What do you call those? Like alternative economies or something like that? Mm -hmm. Well, I am no longer on Facebook. So I quit Facebook in January 2016. And it was actually after I was visiting you that you and I were talking about it. And I was telling you how I felt like I really wasn't getting a lot of value out of it anymore. Mm -hmm. And when I was comparing the pros and cons, that the cons for me were much more obvious and the pros felt fairly minimal to me. Yeah. So after I got home, or maybe even while I was there, I deleted the account. I had deactivated my account in the past and taken breaks from Facebook. Mm Mm-hmm. But to me, the pull was too strong to come back. (laughs) Yeah. And I always would. So I felt like deleting my account was the way to go. I feel really awesome about that decision. I think my personality is very much an abstainer as opposed to a moderator. Mm -hmm. So Neil, for example, maybe gets on Facebook a few times a week. If that, he has no problem not checking in for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case for me. (laughs) And I found it to be a really big time suck. I would rather be doing other things with my time, but I found it hard to have the self-discipline to choose something else Mm -hmm. instead of going to Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I found it very addicting. And knowing that about myself, I just decided to stop using it. And it's been awesome for you. It has. I haven't looked back at all. I do see value in what you're saying about the groups. Mm -hmm. But even that to me, it's like I get some value from it, but I'm also would be checking it more often than was necessary Mm -hmm. and taking that time. I feel like it really changes the way I think when I'm checking in too much. Like it really does feel Mm -hmm. like almost this like addictive. Like a compulsion kind of. Compulsion. That's the word I was looking for. 
I've been there with it before where I felt like if I'm not checking it all the time, I'm missing things or whatever. But I don't know if it's how the algorithms are now, but I feel like I'm pretty happy checking two, three-ish times a day Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I miss things. And because so much of what I care about is in that main group Mm -hmm. and because now you can select top friends Mm. so you can choose the people whose updates you want to see. And so... I know if I don't have updates from them at the top of my timeline, then there's not anything else going on. And so I don't have the sort of scrolling that I feel like I did when the timeline was new and things were a little bit different. And I don't think for me it was a fear of missing out in any way. Mm. It was just this, I have a spare minute. What am I going to do with it? And I would be in the habit of checking it. And that's what kind Mm -hmm. of gave me that gross feeling of... I should be doing something else with my time and I should also just be able to sit with myself as opposed to needing to do that. Right. I also feel like it was really good timing because it was the start of the election year and Mm -hmm. I was really glad to be off Facebook then. I feel like Facebook is much more political than some other social platforms. Right. And I think it's either an echo chamber where everybody's agreeing with you or it's very unproductive Mm -hmm. conversation. I don't think very much happens politically, at least in my newsfeed, that felt like moving the conversation forward. Yeah. So there are a couple friends that that was my one connection to them. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like, you know, it's okay to not keep tabs on every person I've met in my life. Right. Even if we had a great time when we were together. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't diminish the relationship that we had at the time. But if we're not actively keeping in touch, maybe it's okay to not know the details of their life via Facebook as well. I think that's a really good point. But let's talk about other social media platforms besides Facebook. Which other platforms do you use and how do you use them? I use all the social media. (laughs) I have two Twitter accounts, Instagram, Pinterest, Goodreads, LinkedIn, you name it. I have it. What about Snapchat? Do you use that social media? I do. Mostly with my sister, who is a younger millennial. So (laughs) that's how they communicate. So we do that together, (laughs) which is fun. I would say if my social media usage was a pie, it would be maybe 50% Facebook, 25% Instagram, and 25% or 24% Twitter and 1% all the other things. Okay. You know, I'm not checking Pinterest every day. I use it basically as a, you know, a pin board, which is essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. Goodreads, I know you use. Mm-hmm. I really love keeping up with what my friends are reading and getting recommendations that way. And I love reading the reviews. Do you like reading them before you read a book or after? If somebody whose opinion on books I value, like you, has read it, I often will read or at least look at a star rating. Mm-hmm. I like the reviews better after. I like it better after, too. I feel like it's a chaotic book club. It is. But I don't like reading it before because I don't like it to color my view of the book. I like to have more of a blank slate. Yeah. So with Twitter, for my personal account, I don't use it much. I don't tweet much. But I do things like follow all the royal photographers (laughs) on that account. As you do. (laughs) Right. So things that I would be embarrassed if people saw me following with my other Twitter account, because I mostly use that as a professional science communicator. Mm -hmm. Many scientists are on Twitter. Many science writers are on Twitter. And so 
I have found it to function like sort of the virtual water cooler that a lot of people say that it is. So people share links, maybe something they wrote or something else. Last night, there was a science communication journal club that you could follow along with and participate in on Twitter, which was cool, where people read a paper about the science of science communication. And I like having it as kind of a landing page when people Google my name. Mm -hmm. Twitter is pretty good with search engine optimization. So that's something that I can control my online presence and look like a professional science communication person. Mm Mm-hmm. I also lead workshops for scientists that mostly focus on Twitter. And then the last one that I want to talk about is Instagram. Mm -hmm. Andrew and I both have kept our circles on Instagram very small. So these are people that we know well and have interacted with a lot in real life. And maybe they've moved away and we're keeping up with them. That way, it's a little bit more controlled than Facebook and feels a little cozier. So tell me about your Instagram use, Sarah. Instagram is the main social media that I use. I'm also on Goodreads, but I use that to log the books that I've read because I like to keep track of that. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I like to read reviews and look for books. I go on for a very specific purpose and I can go weeks without logging into Goodreads. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have that same pull of Instagram or Facebook in my mind. So Instagram is what I use primarily. I have a personal account and we share the podcast account. Mm -hmm. I like that it isn't as political, that it feels more positive, Mm -hmm. people sharing inspiration. It still triggers some of the same feelings in me that Facebook did Mm -hmm. in terms of needing to limit my usage. But overall, I really like seeing what people are sharing. Mm Mm-hmm. I have been on Twitter and Pinterest in the past, but I deleted those accounts. Mm -hmm. I think around the same time I deleted my Facebook account just to kind of clean up my social media presence Mm -hmm. and get rid of the things I wasn't using. And neither of those were ever very interesting to me or Mm -hmm. something that I was really drawn to. I found Twitter, I don't want to say confusing. I never had a news feed that I was really interested in there. Yeah. I feel like I had never cultivated it in quite the right way. And it just felt like one more thing and crafting pithy status updates to share. I never Mm -hmm. really felt like that was my strong suit either. Yeah. Or that I had things that I wanted to share on Twitter in general. Yes. All these objections that you're making to Twitter are things that I hear all the time from scientists who are like, why should I do this? I mean, there are ways (laughs) to make it work for you. I don't need to go into that now, but that's all fair and valid. For me, it's just one of those things like I already know about myself, my personality, re-social media, so I'm not trying to seek out more social media. (laughs) You don't need more inputs. Yeah, I'm all set on that front. I do check in on the president's Twitter feed to keep up with what the happenings are over there. (laughs) And there are a few people whose tweets I like to read. And so I'll just go specifically to their page. Mm -hmm. But I no longer have an account. So it's just a few public accounts that I like to check in on less than once a week. Yeah. So that's the social media that we use. But when do you find yourself turning towards social media during the day? I'm off and on all day for a few minutes at a time, kind of here and there. I think I mentioned this already, but I don't feel myself getting sucked in for hours at a time. It's more that I'll just sort of check in on the things I really care about 
you know, look at my Instagram feed, which is very curated. Mm -hmm. Look at my favorite Facebook group. If I'm looking for something specific that I want to buy, I'll look for that. But this is probably at the most 10 minutes of use at a time and usually much less than that, that I'm just glancing at things sort of in transition times in our day. We're starting off on a walk. I have a quick look at Instagram and then I turn on my audiobook and we go. Mm -hmm. Or I've just put Plum down for a nap. I scroll through my group and then, you know, 10 minutes later I'm on to work or reading for fun or whatever. This question made me think about my phone usage. Mm -hmm. I think for some people, phone usage does equate with social media usage. But for me, it really doesn't. Most of when I'm on my phone and when I feel like Plum is annoyed that I'm looking at my phone rather than her, I'm doing things like texting Mm -hmm. or voxing. Yeah. Live communication things with people I have real relationships with. Yes. But social media doesn't feel like it has that pool in the same way that I want to vox you back if you vox me. Or Mm -hmm. if my dear friend in D.C. is messaging me, I want to be texting with her right back. I would say that I actually feel the same about that. I think that if I separate phone use from social media, I'm not on Instagram for more than a few minutes at a time. Right. Honestly, I don't even know what I would do on Instagram for more than a few minutes at a time. Yeah, exactly. You scroll through the feed and then that's it. I think that I do equate them, not in that they're the same thing, but when Mm -hmm. I think about my struggle to limit my usage, I think of that as my phone in general. Because I do think Mm -hmm. if I were to catalog my time, more of it would be voxing, texting, Mm -hmm. reading the news, and listening to podcasts. Less of it is random surfing of the web or going through Instagram, which is the social media I use. Sure. So maybe we'll explore that more in a future episode about technology and family, because I feel like I have a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. But to bring it back to specifically social media usage, in the past, I think I have struggled more to limit my usage when I was on Facebook. And cutting that out, I do feel like helped a lot in that regard. Mm -hmm. And I have also periodically taken breaks from Instagram and deactivated my account there. And I really liked that. I really like just turning it off. I find that after I've done that for about a day, I am just not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's bad. I don't think social media is evil. I don't think there's a problem with it in general. I just think I know myself and I really benefit from taking breaks and doing things that I feel like force me to concentrate for longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. I like being really aware of that. Yeah. So I think that social media often can have a bad rap, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of things that we like about it. So what are your favorite parts of being on social media? I think in general, for me, what's positive about social media is all those different kinds of ways of connecting. So seeing the things that people share, whose opinions I value, especially on things that I have really been thinking about a lot over the last few years, but didn't grow up thinking about. Mm -hmm. I love the exposure that I get to other viewpoints. Yes. That happens on Facebook, but also on Twitter. So those connections and sort of the broadening of my experience are really valuable to me. What about you, Sarah? I would agree with everything that you've said. I also like it as a way to connect with people who have similar interests, but that aren't in my community. Mm, So mm -hmm. things like people who are living small, even though 
I am not living in a tiny home, but I find the idea behind that really interesting. And I really connect to a lot of the philosophy behind that. Mm -hmm. And I like seeing families who are doing that and following how they're making it work or families who are traveling full time Mm -hmm. or zero waste things and gaining resources and inspiration. There may not be a ton of people where I'm living who are doing that, that may not be the social norm, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of people doing this. And there are lots of people thinking about this. And I really like that way of normalizing it and just being inspired by other people. Mm -hmm. Another community that I found on Instagram are fellow book lovers. Yeah. And getting so many good book recommendations. Mm -hmm. Now I don't even usually go to Goodreads for those. Right. I have been making a collection of books Mm -hmm. from people in our feed that I can go back to. So when I need a new book, I can pull that up of books that have been reviewed by people we follow. Yeah. We found a lot of great reads from that. And I just love the connection. So when I was reading another mystery series that I was starting that I had picked up and then put down and then picked up again, Mm -hmm. it seemed like three or four different bookstagrammers that we follow from our Friendlier account all were reading books in the series at the same time. So that was really fun to connect over those specific things. Yes. That feels like a big chaotic book club, too, like you said about Goodreads. Agreed. There are, of course, downsides to social media. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you do not love about it? Well, something that I talk about when I give workshops is that the internet can be like the wild, wild west. People don't always behave super well. So that can be a problem on Facebook, Uh, for instance, when discussing politics. I mean, you alluded to this, that Mm -hmm. it's hard to have productive conversations. It's hard to read tone. Mm -hmm. I think that's also really evident on Twitter. Things can kind of get out of control because it's so rapid fire and it's so real time that if someone has a strong opinion about something and other people pile on, there's this bandwagon of negativity that just sweeps people up. And I think people do get hurt. I have also experienced FOMO some in the past, but like I said, less now as I have my feeds sort of curated exactly how I like them. What about you, Sarah? As I've already said, I find that it's often taking up more time than I want it to. Mm -hmm. There are so many great things about social media, but I go past that point sometimes. You know, this would have been great to check in on my feed twice a day, Mm -hmm. but I'm doing it five times. Right. Those three extra times are not bringing me joy or happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's just something I find personally challenging. Another complaint I often hear about social media is that it creates this platform for comparison Mm -hmm. and makes people feel like their life doesn't measure up. Yeah. I found it to be a problem in very specific areas of my life. Mm. But in general, I think, of course, these are just real people living their life. And what they're choosing to share is just a really small snippet of that. Right. I also really like my life and feel really happy. So it feels easier to like tune out the noise. Yeah. I have found in the past, though, like some specific home decor things that Mm. I've had to unfollow Mm -hmm. because it makes me feel like I need to do a lot of home decor projects and 
home renovation, it makes me see my house in this negative light and all the things that I need to change. So I've definitely had to do that in the past where I think this is just making me want things and to be dissatisfied. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a good outcome. (laughs) I think one reason that I've been drawn to really keep my Instagram feed small and limit to people that I know in real life that I actually care about what they're doing is that I tend toward that. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to do all the projects and I want to move into a different house and I want to buy things and renovate them because it just looks so great Yeah, in those little square, beautiful (laughs) pictures that are taken during the golden hour. So the light is perfect. But I'm not sure that what I really want to do is buy, you know, a camper and renovate it. Mm hmm. But if I follow accounts like that, I start to feel like I do. Yes. I think that I can idealize things when you're talking about people renovating campers and doing that. I think I really idealize a certain minimalist lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, wait, I'm really happy with where we are. I'm really content with what we're doing. And I feel like we're on a path that feels right for us. Right. And Neil's really good about bringing me back Mm -hmm. because I'll be, oh, I have all these ideas (laughs) and share them with him. And he's just very steady and not as ready to completely upend our lives on a moment's notice as I am. (laughs) Right. So that's a good balance to have in my life. So is there anything that you would like to change about your social media usage right now? Or do you feel pretty happy with where you are? I'm happy with where I am. More of the changes that I'd like to make would be better boundary setting around the phone use in general. Mm -hmm. But in terms of my use of social media, I think it's really working for me and adding value in general. Overall, I think I would say the same. I think when we were doing the outline, I was really conflating phone usage with social media usage. Mm -hmm. And they really are very separate things. Yeah. And I'm happy I'm not on Facebook. I'm happy to be on Instagram. I think that I could set some better boundaries about I am only checking it twice a day and have designated times when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. Or things like, do I need to be checking in on the friendlier account as often when it's a week when you're in charge of the account? Mm -hmm. So I think there's some tweaks that I could make. And I do really well with more explicit limits that I give myself. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be beneficial. But I don't have a desire to be off Instagram or to try and take on another social media platform right now. Yeah. So a topic that comes up among parents of our generation is how we approach social media and our kids and what we do and don't share about our kids on social media. Can you describe your process of how you and Andrew thought about that and where you landed? We went into it thinking that we would be pretty judicious about what we shared in terms of photos. And we've kept up with that for the most part. We do share limited photos on Facebook, though the ones that I've shared, which is probably 10 or fewer in the 18 months that Plum has been on the earth, if I share them later, I make them only me. Mm. And we do share much more on Instagram. But like I said, our circles are really small and have really few people that we're not friends with in real life. What do you do if somebody else posts a photo of Plum on their page? That's happened few times. There is one instance where a colleague of mine from work posted a picture of her and posted it publicly. Mm. And it was more that he just didn't really understand the settings. He's a little bit of a later to social media user 
So we try not to be jerks about it. But in that instance, when it was public, where anyone who went to his page could see it, it wasn't just his friends. We asked him to make it just friends. Mm -hmm. And he was willing to do it once he figured out how. Can you explain some of your thinking behind it and how you guys came to where you are for limiting the sharing? Well, for one thing, neither Andrew nor I are really sharing a whole lot of personal information on Facebook ourselves at all. Mm -hmm. So then in thinking about having a kid and sharing things about her, we wouldn't be sharing them about ourselves. So then why would we share about her? Mm -hmm. And then there's that next level of she has no choice in the matter. So we want to try to preserve some level of autonomy and choice around her visibility on social media. And until she's old enough to kind of understand and make those decisions for herself. And I think there are probably levels of understanding that come Mm -hmm. with emotional maturity. Yes. That we want to err on the side of less rather than more. What sort of conversations have you guys had around that in your family? So it's been evolving. HP has been around for five years now. And when he was born, I was still on Facebook and I did share photos of him there. That still felt fairly private to me. I never had a giant Facebook network and Mm -hmm. it was people that I knew. So I really liked sharing photos of my kid when he was younger and we announced his birth there. We -hmm. announced E's birth. I liked for our friends to know about our kids and I'm really proud of our kids. And I liked sharing that and connecting with other people through that, Mm -hmm. especially other parents that I knew and relatives and friends who we don't see very regularly. Right. And I personally love to see a birth announcement on Facebook. Same. I love to see those things. So yes, we also announce Plum's birth on Facebook. I feel like it's social media, but really feeling that warmth of support from people too. Right. So we did share there. I would say it was fairly minimal. I mean, I don't think I shared more than a photo a month Mm -hmm. at that point. Neil is very private on Facebook Mm -hmm. and posts things never, (laughs) as in that's not an exaggeration. Unless you hack his account to promote our podcast. Mm -hmm. I hacked (laughs) it. Yep, that happened. (laughs) But otherwise, he really just does not share on social media. So that's part of it, too, is having that conversation where he airs on the side of more privacy for himself, too. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we're not on the same page, but I think his viewpoint really influenced the way that I see it. Mm -hmm. And we're making decisions as a partnership. And since he is so far to one side, I think our choices have naturally leaned in that direction. Mm -hmm. On Instagram, I originally did share photos of my kids there. And now I don't show their faces because my account is now public Mm -hmm. because I'm using that for the Family Petals podcast. And I didn't want to have a public page where people could see my kids' faces. And I really see both sides of it. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I'm making the right choice and people who are sharing photos are making a wrong choice or that that is somehow damaging. I love seeing photos of other people's kids. Me too. I feel that pull to want to share photos because I so enjoy it from other people Mm -hmm. and having that connection of feeling like you know someone better because you're seeing their whole family. Right. And the route that we're taking now, I feel like I am missing out on part of that experience. Mm -hmm. But at the same time... I think you said this earlier, but we don't know all the ramifications of all the Mm -hmm. sharing that is happening now. Right. 
And so this is the place where Neil and I both feel comfortable right now. Mm -hmm. Even though I think it would be fine, we're still going this route, I guess. And a big thing for me, even more than images of their faces, is having their name attached. And Mm -hmm. that now that I'm using my last name on social media Mm -hmm. and being publicly searchable with my last name, I don't want my kids to be searchable. And I heard this from Asha Dornfest of the Edit Your Life podcast, Mm. but she uses a pseudonym in writing for her kids. Mm -hmm. I think on the podcast, she shares their real names now. Mm -hmm. But because she wants, if there's a Google search done of her kids, for it to be their own work, the things that they have created and done to make a name for themselves, Mm -hmm. not to be her work about them. Exactly. Right. I also really love knowing other people's kids' names because... You and I both love talking baby names. Yeah. We were talking about how we could have a whole episode about baby names if we were to share our kids' names. (laughs) Yeah. We could probably have a whole episode about baby names that got away, ones that we did not use. Yes, because we love talking about it. And I do feel really comfortable with that choice right now. And I feel like that's something we could always change in the future, but we couldn't go back. Right. So that's where we are with social media right now, but we would love to hear from you what kind of social media you use, how you use it, and how you've come to the decisions that you have around social media. Let's wrap up by talking about what we've been eating lately. I have been making homemade paneer. This is awesome. I can't wait to hear about this. I hope that I don't disappoint (laughs) because it's still a work in progress. I have now made it twice. All right. So it's very simple. I was inspired by the Never Homemaker blog. Lately, she's been talking a lot about zero waste cooking Mm. and things that you can buy in packages, but that she's trying to make on her own. Awesome. And one of the things on her list was paneer. And I thought, I've never made that before. Me neither. So why not try it? But I love it. (laughs) Me too. And it's one of those things that makes me want to go get the takeout or go get Indian food because I cannot recreate that until now. (laughs) (laughs) And this was perfect, too, because we had a backup of milk. We actually get milk delivered once a week. And when we were gone to Missouri, I didn't stop the delivery that was the day before we left. Mm. And so we had a surplus of milk. And this recipe calls for a half a gallon of milk. And you heat it up. I think it's at around 180, maybe 200. I'll link to the recipe. And then you take it off the heat, add in a quarter cup of lemon juice, Mm -hmm. and let it sit for 10 minutes. And then everything separates into the curds and the whey. Mm -hmm. Then you pour it into a cheesecloth. And this was the part that I found tricky because the recipe just said, and then you squeeze out all of the liquid. Mm -hmm. But it's very hot. (laughs) So... (laughs) Anyway, you can't do it right away. I think that that was just a left-off instruction. (laughs) (laughs) that I discovered after touching very hot cheese after scalding your hands (laughs) yes so I have a nut milk bag and that's what I used Mm -hmm. and I also use that for straining yogurt and then you form it into a little block Mm -hmm. and press it so you do a plate another plate on top and then you put something heavy on top of it okay I think it suggested large cans of tomatoes and then put it into the fridge and let it solidify. I think it said minimum half an hour, Mm. and then you can do it for longer. 
I think mine would have benefited from slightly longer as it didn't hold together really well. Mm. I ended up making a sort of korma sweet curry sauce to put the paneer in and it was fairly crumbly. Mm. Either I didn't get quite enough liquid out or I didn't press it long enough, Mm. but it didn't hold together into the cubes. It tasted delicious. The only other step was adding salt before you press it and mixing that together so that it just tastes better as food does when you add salt to it. Yeah. I made it again tonight and it was more like ricotta. I didn't have time to do the pressing step. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of sprinkled the crumbled cheese on top of the curry that we had. Hmm. Both my kids said it was disgusting. So there is that. But I really loved it. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like something that the Instant Pot would work for. Because doesn't the yogurt boil do 180? Maybe it is. I don't think I know what temperature that gets to. I bet that would work. Just do that and then open the top and add the lemon juice and set it back in. Mm -hmm. That would be much easier because it requires some stirring to keep from scalding. Mm. And it actually took a while. I will have to experiment with that notion because it would simplify the process significantly. Awesome. What have you been eating? I've been eating roasted okra. Hmm. Which is surprisingly good. Why do you say surprisingly? Well, my initial experience with okra was fried okra that my mother-in-law made. Okay. And for a long time, I only ate it fried because I didn't know that I liked it in other formats. Fried was my first experience, too. So fried okra is awesome, but it's a real pain Mm -hmm. to do that every time you want to eat okra. And I really like the flavor of okra, Mm -hmm. but it also has the slime. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you have to be a little careful about how you cook it so that it doesn't slime you. Yes. But we were at a friend's house in Raleigh a while ago, and she was roasting okra. So I tried it myself with some okra we got from the farmer's market, and it was purple okra, which I think is less slimy Mm. and has a really nice flavor. I just cut it up sort of in, you know, little okra coins. Yes. And then spread it on a cookie sheet, sort of toss some olive oil on there and salt and pepper, Mm -hmm. roast at 400 for 15 minutes or less. And it's really good. Hmm. I have never tried it that way. How do you usually prepare okra? Well, I ate a lot of okra when we lived in Austin, Mm -hmm. partly because I had a garden in the front yard. And the first year I planted it, I planted a lot of okra and the okra (laughs) did really well. For those of you who don't know, you have to harvest okra basically daily when it's coming in because it gets mm-hmm. really woody if you let it go too long and it grows right. really fast. So we had okra every night for a very long period. <laughs> I did learn to like eating it raw. I just like mm. eating it. I think it's it can be a little prickly almost on the outside. Yeah. Not sharp. It does the, have those little hairs. The fuzz is not soft, I guess. No. But (laughs) HP liked it and I liked it. So we would just eat it like that. Mm -hmm. But I would also do the coins and then use a cast iron skillet, lots of oil, salt. And then I would add just a little bit of flour or cornmeal Mm -hmm. and just stir it. You know, let it cook for a while, stir, let it cook for a while, stir. And I felt like having a little bit of flour absorbed some of the slime. Yeah. It's not like fried okra because it's not deep fried, but it had a similar feel to that. Mm -hmm. And I loved eating that. I still love okra. Yeah. Even my summer of okra all the time has not turned me off of okra. (laughs) I'm a believer. I also love pickled okra. Mm, Yes. Same. I need to figure out something for that in some future summer. 
Yeah. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. And I have a friend from my other virtual book group who once said that Anne was one of her literary heroines. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And now... Do you want to say... Sorry. Do you want to say heroine? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I just will skip that whole part. But but I'm excited. That's fine. Thank you for helping my pronunciation. Really glad I put the social media. I know. Like it used to be called the Facebook. (laughs) Do you remember that? Uh, No, I don't. (laughs) I guess it did. Okay. I don't really know how to I don't know how to move us on from that. <laughs> it's all not good. Just answer the question. <laughs>